Welcome back to Throne Hands. Uh, long time for usual is Daniel. Daniel, how are you? I'm doing great, Jacob. How about you, man? I'm doing pretty good. About to go on vacation tomorrow. Guys, just so you know, this is pre-recorded about a week in advance. So if stuff changes, well, can't do much about it. So first matchup of the night that we're going to talk about on the main card is Carlos Esparza versus Marina Rodriguez. What do you have on Carlos Esparza? Uh, Carlos Esparza, really talented fighter, one of the more veteran strawweights in the UFC. She was a college wrestler in the NAIA. She has a brown belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, so she's a grappling-heavy fighter. But she can handle herself pretty well on the feet as well. Uh, like I said, she was a women's All-American wrestler, actually, at, at Menlo College, and then started training in Brazilian jiu-jitsu after that. Uh, she's got four uh, submission wins, three by knockout, nine by decision. Uh, but... She's going to look to get the fight to the ground. That's really where she thrives. And she's coming off three straight wins, including a split decision against Michelle Watterson back in May. And that was her first fight since last September. So she's somebody on a hot streak with a skill set. Also, as a former UFC women's strawweight champion, the inaugural UFC women's strawweight champion, she's beat a lot of the best women's fighters in the UFC, she beat Rose Namajunas for that championship, ended up losing it to Joanna Zajetrik. But she's competed with everyone in this division and done it at a really high level for a really long time. Yeah, like you said, she can stand and throw with people. Like you said, she, she won that split decision against Michelle Watterson. I thought Watterson won, but Esparza came out with the victory. could have gone either way. And Michelle Watterson is a black belt in karate. That's why she's nicknamed the karate hottie. And it really showed that Carla Esparza can stand in with the best of them when it comes to throwing. And she is, she is a formal champion. Yes, she won the first championship. Then she lost to Joanna the next fight. But she's a champion, and that shows in her fighting that she can compete. She's seen everything on the blue moon, man. So she, she knows what she's doing. And on to Marina Rodriguez, a very promising up-and-coming prospect in this division. 33 years old. Yes, she's a little on the older side. But she's, uh, she's very, very talented when it comes to Muay Thai. She's very, very aggressive. She's one of the most aggressive I've seen in a while. And she's very strong. She'll just throw you whenever she gets you in that in that tie clinch. But she also likes the decision. But she's great from the bottom when it comes to jujitsu. Who wants a mission win is a is a leg triangle from the bottom. So she is quite well versed. What do you have to say about Marina Rodriguez? Something that sticks out to me about her is how athletic she is. Earlier in, in when she was young, she played four sports: soccer, volleyball, basketball, and handball. Before she ended up turning to Muay Thai. Uh, about seven years ago in 2013, started fighting amateur there, came up through uh, the Dana White Contender Series eventually uh, back in 2018. Uh, but like you said, very aggressive Muay Thai style, uh, very precise with what she does. She doesn't get too out of control when she does get aggressive. And she's shown a lot of promise. She's coming off a majority draw uh, with Cynthia Calvillo, but that was fought at a catch weight. Calvillo missed weight uh, for that fight back in December. 
but she's got some some decent wins to her name. She's knocked off Tisha Torres and Jessica Aguilar uh, since she's come to the UFC. Uh, had a, another majority draw with Ronda Marcos. It's been a little bit of a weird first couple years for her in the UFC with two wins, two draws. But she's definitely somebody that has plenty of talent and plenty of pedigree to be able to compete in this division. Yeah, you definitely summed it up there. She is a very promising contender, as you and I have both said. So on to keys for these people. I think it's pretty simple for Esparza to get it to the ground and control the pace there. I think Marina Rodriguez is too refined of a striker and too aggressive of a striker for Carla Esparza. Yes, Esparza did uh, go toe-to-toe with uh, Michelle Watterson a couple months ago, but Watterson isn't nearly the aggressive striker that Marina Rodriguez is. So for Esparza, it's get it to the ground, use a wrestling. What do you have to say? Yeah, that makes the most sense for me as well. Carla Esparza has proven to be one of the best women's grapplers in the UFC, and she's she's a little bit past her prime, it seems like. She's not really in title contention right now, but she's still a former champion who's as talented as any woman in this division when it goes to the ground. Uh, she combines wrestling and jiu-jitsu in a way that a lot of people struggle to, uh, and that's what keeps a lot of people from reaching that next level when it comes to the ground game, and she's able to do that. Uh, so... Uh, definitely she's going to be looking to get this fight to the ground uh, against somebody with such a strong Muay Thai background as as uh, Marina Rodriguez. Yep. So I think you summed it up perfectly there. And for Rodriguez, be aggressive, control the pace, make it fast, and back Esparza up against the cage so she can't use her takedowns. What do you have to add to that? I can't really say anything much more than that. Uh, Marina Rodriguez is going to come into this with a reach advantage. She's five inches taller than Carla Esparza, but only comes in with a two-inch reach advantage. So what might seem like on paper uh, a pretty big advantage for her on the feet just in terms of measurables uh, maybe isn't quite there, but she does have a a three-and-a-half-inch leg reach. I think if she can keep Carla Esparza moving backwards – don't give her opportunities to shoot in for takedowns. That's going to be the biggest thing for her. Be able to stay at a distance, but still use that Muay Thai precisely. All right, so predictions for this one. For me, I think I'm going to take Marina Rodriguez with a knockout. I just think Marina Rodriguez is too aggressive and too well-versed when it comes to the clinch because uh, she she does a very nice tight clinch. She'll just throw you to the ground. And I think, not no knock against Esparza, but I don't think her striking will hold up. So I got Marina Rodriguez by knockout. What do you have? I think that Marina Rodriguez is a really bad matchup for Carla Esparza. I think her high-pressure style uh, is not going to give Carla Esparza a lot of chances to go for takedowns. And the size differential, I think, is going to be too much to overcome. I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to agree with you on this one. I'm taking Marina Rodriguez in a knockout. All right, so you and I have both come to consensus. So on to the next fight. Uh, this, this one I've been looking at a lot. Alexander Gustafsson versus uh, Fabricio Verdum. Now, you and I have both said, we talked about this a little bit uh, in a couple of podcasts. This is his true weight division, you and I both believe. I think when he cut down to 205, he cut too much weight. He's 6'5", he's a big man, and I think he will thrive in this division. Would you, would you agree with me on that? Absolutely. Alexander Gustafsson, I love him as a fighter, uh, and he did a lot of great things at light heavyweight. He obviously had that uh, that duo of fights with John Jones where – I mean, he competed with the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the world. Uh, But like you said, at his size, at his height, and just the way he's built, uh, those weight cuts, I think, uh, were probably holding him back from reaching his true potential. And now that 
uh, he's moving up to the heavyweight division, at least for the time being, I think we're going to see a different kind of Alexander Gustafsson. I think he's going to be uh, somebody that, uh, in, as, as we're kind of seeing what's going to happen next with, with the, the heavyweight division, because obviously uh, Stipe DC3 is happening next month. And, I mean, there's conversations that uh, no matter what happens in that fight, that title may be vacated because the winner retires. Uh, Alexander Gustafsson is uh, stepping up into the heavyweight division, I would say, at the right time uh, if he's looking to get quickly into title contention. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more there, especially, like you said, this, the, the heavyweight title may be vacated quite soon with DC and Stipe being up there in age. Not Stipe, more or less, but... He does have eye problems, and it would be in his best interest to probably retire after this fight. And Gustafsson, if he gets a win against uh, a former champion, Fabrizio Verdum, he could really show what he can do in this division and probably challenge for the title. So as a good uh, transition, I think Alexander Gustafsson's style will match up well against Fabrizio Verdum. But as the style pertains, KRR has strong hands. He has very strong hands, but his wrestling is very underrated. If you saw in the John Jones fight, he took John Jones down. Well, the first one, not the second one, because that didn't go well for him. But he's a very, very underrated wrestler. And that was the first time Jones has ever been taken down in a fight. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Purple Belt. And he does have a shoot fighting background. So that kind of pertains to his wrestling. What do you have to add to that? Honestly, not a lot much more, much more to add to that. Uh, like you said, he, he started out as a boxer, uh, as, a, as a youngster, and then kind of moved more into MMA as he got older. Uh, and honestly, he's, he's a pretty well-rounded guy. He's most known as a striker. He's got a ton of power in his hands. Uh, but like you said, purple belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, he can handle himself on the ground really well. He proved that, like you said, against John Jones. And my thing with, with Gustafsson is, what are we going to see out of him, honestly? Because this is his, this is going to be his first fight uh, since he lost to Anthony Smith last June. And he, he obviously took time off, said he was going to retire, and he's coming back out. He's moving up to heavyweight. So I'm very interested to see what we see out of Alexander Gustafsson. He's honestly uh, one of the top light heavyweights of the last 10 years, I would say. It's just a question of what's he going to look like at heavyweight and what's he going to look like after that layoff. Yeah, you make a good point. That layoff is uh, a big factor in this fight because Gustafsson's 33 now. Yes, he doesn't look like it from the picture that we see here, but he's getting, he's getting older now. I think this will help his career last longer because with the heavyweight, you don't, really, you don't have to cut weight. He can just stay at his weight, and he doesn't really have to put all that stress on his body from the weight cut. So I think this could be a really, really good start for Gustafsson. And on Fabricio Verdum, he's getting up there in age. He's about 40 now. So 42. 42. Wow. Jeez. And I think that – I think we could he could see uh, his career kind of be like a Verdum's as he gets older because Verdum hasn't – he's only gotten a little better when he gets up now. He's back on the decline, but he's had more success in the latter part of his career. Now, on a Verdum style, he's one of the most well-versed fighters there is. Heavy hands, black belts in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Judo and Muay Thai. So this guy can do it anywhere. What do you have to add to that? There's not much to add to it. Like you said, his pedigree uh, in terms of individual martial arts and in, in the UFC are almost unmatched. Uh, black belts in three different uh, disciplines of martial arts, uh, a former UFC heavyweight champion. It's, he's one of the most accomplished fighters we've ever seen. 
So, yes, he's starting to get over the hill at the age of 42. He's coming off back-to-back losses, but he's still a force to be reckoned with even in his, in his latter years because he's kind of become a gatekeeper to see if, if fighters in this heavyweight division are true contenders. And I don't think we're going to see that change with Fabricio Verdum as long as he keeps fighting. Uh, he's, he fights a style that is going to allow him uh, to still be competitive as long as he wants to fight. So uh, he's, he's cer- certainly nobody to be messed with still. He's not fighting that often anymore. Uh, he took over two years off between his last two fights, uh, but it's a quick turnaround for him now having just fought back in May, uh, taking that loss to Alexi Olenek. So maybe we're going to see something different out of Fabricio Verdum. I don't know. Uh, he obviously uh, doesn't think he's out of gas. I don't think he's out of gas. I'm excited to see what he does because him and Gustafson are two guys that can really go. Yeah, you, you pretty much – I can't add anything more to that. So on to the keys for uh, Verdum. I think the keys for him is get into the pocket and control the pace and use his wrestling and ground game. Yes, Gustafsson's a very underrated wrestler, but I think – Verdum definitely has the edge in that. And he, if he uses his heavy hands against Gustafson, that'll, that'll put a little shock into Gustafson. And I think that'll uh, help him control the pace of this fight. Uh, what do you have? Not much else to add. Like you said, he's coming in with a two-inch reach disadvantage, uh, which isn't that much to make up, especially uh, as skilled as he is with his Muay Thai. Uh, but this is going to be – the best bet for Fabricio Verdum is going to be to try to get inside Alexander Gustafsson. That's what – one of the things Gustafsson does really well is keep guys at a distance and just be able to just stick big shots in uh, while not really putting himself in a position to get countered. Uh, so if Verdum can get in close, that's going to be the best bet if this fight stays on the feet. And when it does go to the ground, just in terms of pedigree, he's going to have the advantage. But like we've been saying, Gustafsson's really underrated when it goes to the mat. Yeah. So what are your keys for Gustafsson? I think the big thing for him is going to be the opposite of what we just said. Keep Verdum out of the pocket. And like I said, be able to strike at a distance. Uh, I'm not sure his his goal should be to get Fabricio Verdum down to the ground, uh, but I don't think anyone probably said his that he should have tried to get John Jones down to the ground when they fought that t- the first time. So honestly, I think Gustafsson can come into this fight uh, just kind of – see what Fabricio Verdum's going to try to do to him and adjust to that. Uh, because Gustafsson, like we've said, an aggressive striker, a lot of power in his hands, and he's going to have the advantage when it comes to the measurables. So I think if he can cut the cage off, keep Verdum uh, from getting into a position where he can turn this into a fight in a phone booth, that's going to be the thing, thing for Gustafsson. Uh, maybe even uh, backing Verdum up against the cage and just be able to to let some strikes go, cut off a cut off a corner of the cage and keep him there. That may be the best bet. Yeah, I, I, you pretty much summed it up for me. I think he also has to use his kicks to keep Fabricio Verdum at a distance so that he doesn't get taken to the ground. And like a lot, like he should do is keep his wrestling as a as a in his, back in his back pocket. If he gets not rocked by Fabricio Verdum, he should definitely take Verdum to the ground. Like we said, Gustafsson, underrated wrestler, he can handle himself on the ground. So, what are your predictions? I'm going to take Alexander Gustafsson in this one again. Uh, he briefly retired, but it's really only been a six-month layoff for him. Uh, like I said, Verdum was out of the game for over two years before he came back to fight 
uh, Alexi Olenek back in May. And honestly, at the age of 42 for Verdum, I don't know that obviously he's not your typical 42 year old, but I don't know that a two year or excuse me, a two month turnaround after two years off is the best thing for him physically. I think Gustafsson's going to come into this one, uh, come into this one fired up, ready to fight. And I think he might just knock Fabrizio Verdum out. Yep. You, you pretty much summed up for me. And I think with Ver, Verdum, yes, he, he didn't, he took a fair amount of damage in that Alexi Linux fight because Alexi Linux came out uh, guns blazing with those strikes and got him up against the fence. And at 42 years old, a two month turn, two and a half month turnaround is a tough turnaround. And Gustafsson is fresh. And it's not like he's, he took two years off like Verdum did. He only took about a year off. So I think Gustafsson uses his uh, youth, relative youth rather, and keeps Verdum at bay and gets this win by knockout. You and I are both agreeing again. So I just, I just, hold on. I just realized that I said that it was a six month layoff for Alexander Gustafsson when he fought last June. Math yeah. is fun. I'm just going to okay. point that out. It's Math okay. is fun, kids. Stay in school. <laughs> Educate yourselves. All right, to a matchup you and I have been talking about for a little while now. Two guys who are really, really old. <laughs> Mauricio Shogun versus Big Nog. What do you have to say about this fight in general before we get into it? Well, it's going to be interesting. That's what I'm going to say. Uh, because these are obviously two absolute legends in the sport. Legends in the UFC. Uh, legends before they came to the UFC. Uh, but uh, when you get down to brass tacks, they've both been around for a really long time. I know we just talked about Fabricio Verdum, and he's 42. Uh, but, uh, I mean, Mauricio Shogun Hua is uh, only 38, so he's four years younger than Verdum, who's fighting earlier on this card. I shouldn't knock him that much for that. But he's, he's fought 37 times as a professional. Meanwhile, you've got, uh, at the age of 44, you've got uh, Antonio Rodrigo, Rodrigo Noguera, uh, who's fought 44 times. Like, these guys have been around for a really long time. Big Nog hasn't fought since 2015. Yeah. Like, I, 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 I don't understand. It's, like, you're 44 years old, you haven't fought in five years, and you're just showing up to swap hands with a guy that, who has also been around forever. I don't <laughs> – I don't understand the draw. Like, I get it, but I don't understand the draw. Yeah, I mean, for us, it's fu- it's a, it's going to be a, a funny matchup to watch. But like you said, I don't get why Noguera would want to come in four years layoff. Wait a minute. I'm looking at the wrong Noguera, brother. Oh. oh, that's fine. That All right. was bad. <laughs> that was bad. All right, but Noguera has – uh, Ignore that rant. Th- 32 fights. That's still a lot of fights. And uh, Minotaro, he's just – He's old, and I think when you come in against a really good striker against Mauricio Hua, that's just tough, and especially when you don't have any brains left. So we're going get, to get into the styles here. Minotaur Noguera, he's a – a.k.a. Big Nog. He has like 80 different nicknames. Anyway, uh, Nog this style. This is Lil Nog. What would you say? This is Lil Nog. Oh, this is Lil Nog? My bad. Yeah. It's, it's a rough day here. Anyway, anyway uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu fifth-degree black belt, judo black belt, does have a little bit of a boxing experience. Ground's really where he thrives at. What do you have to add? And not much more to add to that. Like you said, he's got a little bit more striking than what you see from your typical Brazilian uh, big guys. 
Uh, he's a South American champion boxer at one point in the super heavyweight division, actually. So he's obviously had some trouble in recent years. He's won twice in the last six years, and he's only fought six times in that span. And this is actually a rematch from back in 2015 between these two that, that Hua came out with a victory there. Uh, but it was a fight of the night at UFC 190. Uh, I mean, these are two older guys that uh, they both can still go, I think. It may not be uh, the most exciting fight or the most uh, looked forward to fight, but I think it's going to be one that's fun to watch. Yeah, I think you make a good point. And I think on Dahua's style, striker, I mean, there's really not much left to add to that. He's black belt in Muay Thai, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, knockout artist. Valley Tudo, no holds bar martial arts, that's basically what it is. But he does have a little bit of a wrestling background. What do you have to add? Not much else to add with that. Uh, he's, he's your typical uh, what you see out of your bigger Brazilian fighters, uh, at least the guys that get to the top level. He's an outstanding Muay Thai guy, but he can certainly handle himself on the ground with the Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He's a former light heavyweight champion, uh, 26 wins, 21 by knockout. Uh, this is a guy that, that can put people down. He can put them down hard. And honestly, he's one of the best light heavyweights in UFC history. Yep. So on to keys. What are your keys for for uh, Nogueira? For Nogueira, it's it's interesting because obviously he's 44 years old. It's it's not exactly he's not going to have the athletic advantage in this fight by any means. Uh, but with with everything that who is able to do on the feet, uh, the ability to knock people out so quickly. I think his best bet is to take this fight to the ground. This, if this fight does go to the ground, I think it's going to be ridiculously entertaining because you got two Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belts who have probably seen literally everything thrown at them uh, in their fighting careers. So uh, I, I really don't want to see Mauricio Hua knock uh, Nogueira out early in this fight. I want to see this one go to the ground. I want to see these guys just grapple for three rounds and somebody come out on top. Yep, I have to agree with you there. I think for obviously for Noguera, it's get it to the ground. There's no getting around that. And like we saw against John Jones, when Hua got taken to the ground back in, I don't know, 2011, 2012, when, whenever that fight was, it, it, he just completely negated Hua's striking ability. So for Hua, keep it standing. That's really the only key I have. Be, and be aggressive because if you punch this guy once, he's probably going to the ground. What do you have to say? Yeah, cut the cage off, back him up against the fence probably. Just don't get put in a position to get taken down. That's the biggest thing for me. All right, uh, predictions. My prediction, first one to get hit in the head wins, and I think Nogueira will be get hit in the head first. So who wins this by knockout? Yeah, I'm going the same way. All right, So, but we want to see a grappling matchup. So on to the main event of the evening. I'm excited for this one. This will be a fantastic fight. Robert Whitaker, the former middleweight champion, uh, number one contender, he lost to Israel Adesanya uh, back in November, no, November last year, right? I believe so. Okay, yeah. And then against Darren Till, who's coming up from welterweight as of recent. So, October was that title fight, sorry. Yeah, October. Same month, pretty much, man. It's, we're tired here. Anyway, yeah. Darren Till, what do you have to say about Darren Till? I really like Darren Till. I like Darren Till moving up. Uh, he's obviously got a Muay Thai kickboxing background, uh, but he can he can handle himself pretty much anywhere that it goes. Uh, ten wins by knockout, two by decision, six or excuse me, two by submission, and then six of them by decision. 
Uh, he's coming off a split decision win against Calvin Gastelum in his return to this middleweight division. So he's got he's a guy with a little bit of juice behind him. I, I really like uh, what he can do. He fought for the for the welterweight championship against Tyron Woodley uh, while he was in that division uh, less than two years ago. So he's he's moving divisions, but he's nothing nothing to be messed with, uh, even at welterweight or middleweight. Honestly, I like what Darren Till brings to the table. Uh, his Muay Thai is his calling card, and he can put people down in a hurry. So I really like what he brings. Yeah, I like what he brings, too. He does have that striking background. He lived in Brazil three years to learn how to grapple. And he's just very, very refined at what he does and super aggressive. So I think what I, I'd like to see him win this fight so he can see an Adesanya matchup. But for Robbie Whitaker, uh, he's a wrestler, grappler. He He's pretty diverse, too. He has very powerful yet unrefined striking. And Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu brown belt, karate. Uh, he does have a karate black belt. That's true. but. Uh, in diverse finishing, I've gone over that before. What do you have to add? I mean, Robert Whitaker, I mean, his reputation kind of precedes itself. I mean, he's Bobby Knuckles. He beats people up. Like, that's that's what he does. That's what he's always done. And like you said, he's a really diverse fighter. You mentioned he has a karate black belt. He's got a brown belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and a black belt in Hapkido. So this guy can do it on the feet. And if he gets you to the ground, he's going to mess you up. And – I really like Robert Whitaker. I'm excited to see him get back out there. And while I love Darren Till and I want to see Darren Till uh, be an outstanding contender in this division, I really, really, really want to see Robert Whitaker fight for the middleweight title again because I think another fight between him and Adesanya is fireworks. Yep. Can't say much more there. All right. Into keys. Darren Till, be aggressive. Keep it standing. I think that's really what uh, what it goes down to. Control the pace for sure and get – Whitaker up against the cage, so he can't do his takedowns. What do you have to add? Yeah, I think uh, Till's going to have to probably – I mean, these guys match up pretty well in terms, of, in terms of measurables, in terms of reach and height and that kind of stuff. So for Darren Till, uh, with such a Muay Thai-heavy style, it's going to be uh, something to watch if he can uh, keep, uh, keep Robert Whitaker from getting in super tight on him because that's – that's where Whitaker kind of thrives is when he can just start caving your face in with just wild strikes. And, and Till's going to be a lot more of a precise striker. So I think uh, the more he can use that, that kickboxing part of his game, the more successful he's going to be because he does not want to just turn this into a boxing match with Robert Whitaker. Yeah, you can't – He. Yeah, Robbie Whitaker can't get into a boxing match with this dude, in my opinion. I think for the keys, Robert Whitaker is he can stand and throw. There's no question you can do that. He he did it with against Adesanya for a period of time, and he did it against Yoel Romero. That fight never really went to the ground. So for Robbie Whitaker, I think his his best interest is to take it to the ground. But if he sees an opportunity on the feet, he should just grab it and go with it. Uh, slow it down a little bit too, because Till's pretty aggressive. What do you have to say? That that pretty much sums it up for me too. I don't think. I don't think it has to go to the ground for Whitaker to be successful, but I think that's where he's going to make his money in this fight. Uh, if, he, if he gets Darren Till down to the ground, uh, obviously Till wouldn't be, I mean, as well regarded as a contender as he is if he couldn't handle himself on the ground, uh, but he doesn't have a ton of, of pedigree when it comes to that. He's got a purple belt in Lucha Libre, uh, but other than that, uh, he's obviously in the UFC, so he can handle it once once the fight 
hits the map. But Robert Whitaker is going to have him outclassed there considering uh, his Hapkido black belt and his Brazilian jiu-jitsu brown belt, plus what we've seen him do to people already in the UFC uh, once with submissions and that kind of stuff. So uh, for Robert Whitaker, he's going to – he's going to have his best opportunities to finish this fight when it goes to the ground. I don't know that he can knock Darren Till out, but I think he can still pull out a decision win if it stays standing. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. So predictions for this fight. What's your prediction? I am going to take my man, Bobby Knuckles, Robert Whitaker by decision. I think this one goes all the way. I'm really torn with this one because these guys match up so well. Yes, Darren Till isn't uh, the best on the ground, but he can handle himself. And Robert Whitaker is not the best in, on the feet, but he can definitely handle himself. So I'm really, really torn on what to do here. Hmm. So, you know what? I'm going Till by knockout. I just think he's too aggressive for Robbie Whitaker. And Adesanya isn't too, too aggressive when it comes to the feet. And he still lost to Adesanya. I don't know how he's going to handle Darren Till. I think he can handle Darren Till if he gets to the ground. But if it doesn't go to the ground, I think Darren Till wins this by knockout. I want to go back All to right. this uh, Verdum-Gustafsson fight for a second. Okay. I think uh, the win for Gustafsson's contingent on how his build is when he comes into this fight. I don't want him looking like the guy who fought Maurice Green a few weeks back. I was about to say the exact same thing. That's, that's hilarious that you bring <laughs> that up. Because I was about to say the exact same thing, that if Alexander Gustafsson follows the John Volante uh, method of moving up to heavyweight by just putting on a beer gut and going out and trying to swing with people, he's going to get messed up by Fabricio Verdum. Yep, uh, you summed it up there. I don't have anything else to add there. So I want to pose an interesting question to you, Daniel. So we know the UFC strawweight division is stacked. I mean, I don't know if if you've ever seen a pile of bricks, that's what it looks like. So, do you think the UFC should bring back a Grand Prix for this division? I honestly think it, it might be a decent thing to do when you've got such a deep division and you've got so many, so many contenders going up for a title. It's certainly something to consider. I'd love to see it. Yeah, I'd love to see it too. I mean, we, I mean, Carla Sparza, the former champion, is ranked seventh, and yet she's pulled off three wins in a row. I, something like that, right? She, she's pulled off a string of wins. So I think, yes. yes, three wins. So I think that shows what, how stacked this division is. And we'd love to see a Grand Prix. Dan White, if you're listening, make it happen. All right, Dan, do you have anything else to add? I don't. This, this is looking like a really, really stellar fight night card. I'm excited to watch it on Saturday. Jacob, I know. Oh, well, no, you will be around to review this one. It's, it's yes. Figueredo and, and Benavidez that I might be flying solo. And I might have somebody on with me. You never know. It's going to be my hosting debut on Throwing Hands, so it may just get crazy. Who knows? Uh, so uh, this, is, this is a good-looking fight. So Also, that review will probably be out before this preview comes out. So if you're listening to this after the fact, ignore everything I just said. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> keep, listening, keep listening to Throwing Hands. It's a weird week. We've recorded eight podcasts this week. They're all coming out. It's, it's, a big, it's a big, big, big month of July for the Throwing Hands podcast. Keep listening and, and subscribe. Give us stars on iTunes. And share it with your friends. Yes, uh, we're, we're, we're two broke college kids trying to make it in the world. Yeah, really. I mean, 
you know, if you think about this, I don't know if you want to get into the MMA world when you get in journalism, but this has made me want to get into the MMA world yeah, when it man. comes to journalism. Like, this is like fun to talk about. It's not like, oh, the Lakers. Oh, we got to talk about the Lakers. We have different stuff every week to talk about. Yep. And that's what's awesome about this. Like, we can crank out two podcasts a week if we want. And heck, we cranked out six this week. There have been five released as of this day. And uh, the Figueredo Benavides is, one will yeah, be out. This is Friday, July 17th, and we've recorded – this is the eighth podcast we've recorded this week, and five of them have come out. Yeah, so we have the Figueredo Benavidez one coming out uh, tomorrow on the 18th. And then there's two – so this is coming out uh, the 23rd, I think. Yes, 23rd. So yesterday, uh, an interview with Justin Chains came out. Guys, listen to that one. That's a really good one. And uh, the day before – no, on that Monday, uh, Julian Arosa. Very interesting interview. I'd go Love check that, that out, guys. Julian Arosa interview. Hey, he followed us on Instagram. Got to give yes, he big, did. He's big a ups guy. to that guy. Julian he, Arosa, he, a good guy. He's he's overcome so much in his career. Yeah, honestly. And then he like, just comes he's, in. He's, he's had so many opportunities uh, that just have gone by the wayside, but he's never given up, and he's just continuing to come back stronger every time. I'm really rooting for him. As like, uh, well, well, if you haven't listened to that interview, uh, you're gonna find out at some point. I'm not going to spoil the whole thing, but you're not done seeing Julian Arosa in the UFC. I'll, I'll just give you that. No, you're not. And, I mean, you don't just come in and darse a guy and not uh, see yourself in the UFC again. So, that's, that's, how, that's what I'm saying. So, well, this was a good one. We had a, we had a, we had a lot of fun on this one. Yeah. Anyway, Daniel, thanks for coming back on. I mean, you're, you're a staple here. I got to stop thanking you. You're always on, baby. <laughs> anyway, see you guys later.